Hey listeners, you'll find this episode a little bit out of the ordinary for one of our typical podcast episodes. We go through some philosophical and semantic gymnastics to get to our point, bringing it back to the Israeli political debate. But we think it's worth it, and we think it's a genuine insight into the type of things teachers talk about in the teacher's lounge. So I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How you doing, Alan? Uh, feeling a little closed in. Are you? Well, that's that's uh, bad for the uh, claustrophobic listener. And we are also joined once again by Sharon Wagner-Zauder, whose last name I had to look up again because I can't remember it. How you doing, Sharon? I'm good. Don't worry. I've had it for a long time. I sometimes forget it, too. Yeah. Are you feeling a little claustrophobic with another lockdown? Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of needs to take place, I think. You know, yep. let's just dive right get... in with that one. I think that it really, I think I'd be more scared if we weren't being closed down. There is stuff rampant out there. We well, that to... leads to our topic of the day, because yes. our topic for the day is uh, the erosion of the Age of Enlightenment. And to start our conversation, and I, and I really want to, uh, is that true that the Age of Enlightenment is in decline? Should a Jewish state be one that's influenced by the Enlightenment and its ideals. And to start the conversation, I want to read to you just like one of the early paragraphs on the Wikipedia page that I think is just an easy summary of what we're talking about. The Enlightenment included a range of ideas centered on the sovereignty of reason and the evidence of the senses as the primary sources of knowledge and advanced ideals such as liberty, progress, toleration, fraternity, constitutional government, and separation of church and state. In France, the central doctrines of the Enlightenment philosophers were individual liberty and religious tolerance in opposition to absolute monarchy and the fixed dogmas of the church. The Enlightenment was marked by an emphasis on the scientific method and reductionism, along with increased questioning of religious orthodoxy, an attitude captured by Immanuel Kant's essay answering the question, what is Enlightenment? where the phrase dare to know can be found. So that's just a little clip that I think sets the terms that we're talking about. An emphasis on reason, on empiricism, on constitutional government, and of the role on religion and individual opinion and belief being personal, which is respected, but doesn't run the communal order. Uh, is that that's a decent assessment? Do we think that we are watching the unraveling of those in the Western world? I think that there is. Um, I think there is definitely something that has been celebrated for a while now, which is the idea of trying to give balance to an argument. So you'll have somebody who's an expert in the field who will talk about, you know, I've studied history for you know 10 years and I've got my PhD in this and so I'm going to tell you about these historical ideas and then for balance they'll go to somebody else and they're usually the somebody else who's the person who you know well I looked at my tea leaves this morning and I believed this and so that is my challenge and this kind of so idea saying, of this kind of idea of not instead yeah, of having two experts talk to each other there has been an idea that the, anybody who can type now is an expert in their field. Anybody who can write something on a message board or put it up on a forum. 
um, can disseminate information. And it's very hard at times to work out what actually is, you know, not so much truth, which is what the Enlightenment's looking for. It's like, where is truth and how do we find it? But where is the real knowledge going on? And so people... So you're saying that the... Go on. The rejection of expertise, the decline of yes. a respect for expertise, expertise in the Western world is based on I've accumulated uh, a set of facts and understandings and knowledge, and therefore my ideas about this topic have to be treated with a certain degree of deference, no matter what your opinion is, and you don't have to follow me because we don't live in an authoritarian society, but my insight requires a degree of deference whereas today it's simply dismissed as you know oh they don't know because i think this it's like everybody has a right to an opinion absolutely but some opinions should be taken more seriously than others based on the fact that they might have done some research or understanding they might know the facts and they know you're entitled to your opinion but not your own facts dedicated their lifetime there's also another thing that's going on especially around the pandemic is what people are saying now but so can I, can I just interject for a second with that first point? Because we do have to recognize, and, and this is within Lemon, that, that these arguments, right, or someone with knowledge, and obviously there are people with more knowledge than people with less knowledge, but that doesn't necessarily, there, there can often be debates over that knowledge of people with two equally knowledgeable points. Right. Right? In other words, right, there, not, not just because a certain person uh, takes a certain set of facts and comes to a certain... Uh, Conclusion doesn't mean that that is absolute truth or necessarily the right conclusion. No, right? but a debate be between experts. Taking the same facts with the same knowledge, right. and they can debate the the conclusion based on those facts and what they and what they conclude about. That's so what we're really talking about is 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 an un, unlevel playing field. Meaning, peop, when you're when you're taking those who um, are uh, you know again more more not only more knowledgeable but have studied something and this and that and then pitting it against someone who who's just uh, going off of, as you say, belief or opinion or right or, or a prior set of uh, predetermined ideas because based on their belief. And that's one of the signposts right. of an er- erosionment of enlightenment ideals right. because in the past, my religious training or my personal opinion could affect my conclusion about things. But because facts are determined by evidence, then experts have to have a certain deference. So evidence-based knowledge is really much more what the Enlightenment was saying. It's saying we're not going to take things because we're told it by somebody else who's higher up the hierarchy, whether they be a landowner or an aristocracy or a member of a religion it is higher up and has and owns the truth and tells us how to work. It's saying that we are going to investigate and we're going to test out. And that whole day of experimentation um, was all part of that stuff. And the idea that actually we don't know the answers, but we will try and work out as much as we can what the probability is they can be this way and we'll work it out via dialogue that's where the tolerance comes in the via dialogue so you put together your hypothesis and you wait to hear somebody else's hypothesis and it's that whole dialecticism of you know a theory and another theory and coming together thesis thesis and come together and you make a a further not conversation and i think that's what thesis antithesis yeah Thesis and antithesis coming together. Thesis and thesis. Synthesis. And, synthesis. and synthesis. So the idea that people are saying now is like, you know what? Scientists don't know. And the biggest thing is that scientists know they don't know. That's okay. Well, they know what they don't know. 
yeah. they know what they know. Uh, sometimes. Well, a good scientist. A good scientist. A good but scientist many scientists knows well, we're, that they know We're talking in generalities. Yeah. If there's a scientist right. who thinks he knows what he doesn't know, then the other scientist's job is to keep them in line and review that. Well, right. Right. And that's why you've peer reviewed. I just, I, I do think it's important that we point out, I, I'm, I'm, I decide I'm going to play the, the devil's, not the devil's advocate, but the critique here. We're going to keep this. And we remember that a lot of even scientific knowledge, all those were often based on subjective positions, right? No. So like, even enlightenment, right? Can you give me an example? I give you an example. Yes, that the Western that the Western civilization and progress is is, is a positive is a positive and better I mean, than that's the not science. That, that was scientists at, were not at, claiming that. That wasn't a scientific claim. But, uh, well, again, I mean, many many did. There were scientists who were definitely claiming that, and it was definitely based on scientific claim that Western civilization and progress, and that's why they they needed to show the indigenous communities. A new way of acting, which ended up destroying a lot of indigenous. You'd have to show me an evidence of a, that being a scientific paper or there was, argument. There was a definite a, scientific okay, paper that put together absolute, that the Western European one. world actually uh, was genetically yeah. superior to, say, uh, people of the African yeah. subcontinent. There were more than one. There were many. There was many. It was. Ba- I mean, I'll, I can get a free after. I can't. My problem with names today, but I will definitely. Yeah, well, that's that's bad science, and there are there are times where the scientific community goes off in bad directions and eventually has to self-correct. But I think there's a different. I wouldn't necessarily call it bad science. I think that there is a phrase called yeah. in the shelf life of facts, which is that there are facts that we know now that in eighteen months won't be true. And nope, and, that's not that's not that's not how the word facts works. But we know it and we state it as a fact because when the knowledge that we have now tells us that this is true, but we will find out more information and realize the fact that we thought was true beforehand actually isn't. Then it was a hypothesis that we may have treated as a fact, but it was not a fact. If I think something is a fact and then I find out it is. Yeah. Yeah, then I'm just using the word wrong. Right. If I think, I can't think something's a fact. It either it is or it isn't. You can think something is true until you find out more information about it. Well, true, okay, so, and, and again, I want to direct this back to Israel at some point, but to quote Niels Bohr, the opposite of a fact is a falsehood. The opposite of a truth can often be the opposite truth that is also true. Once you get to the big idea of truth, two opposing ideas can both be true in a complementary way. But facts are either true or false. That they're, they're, that's, that's part of the Enlightenment deal. That, 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 the, the, the reality that we all encounter and exist and interact with, that our senses apprehend, yields reality. And reality that we all interact in so that you know, germs behave in a certain way. And there's, you can debate and have a different opinion, but, but the we facts know, are the but facts. this is what's gone on, like within it, is that we said we thought this was true based on everything we saw in front of us. We did tests and tests again, and we saw this to be a fact. But now we have different kind of testing. And so we've realized that that isn't a fact because there has been an advance within our technology that we wouldn't have even thought about. With the information we had at that time, again, uh, that's what we knew to be true. Alan was describing Western yeah. colonial thinking, which isn't science. I mean, that's a that's a political <laughs> approach. If there were if there were race theorists who said that 
that that genetically whites were superior to other races. I mean that that wasn't very good science, and I don't know how well. No, that would I'm, not, I'm not talking about. I'm taking out the race for a second. It's not just you're talking about race science. That, that there's an assumption that progress and that's Western not science. civilization. That's a social political <laughs> assumption that the Western so world social had. science. So it's social science. And no, it's based on exactly your definition of enlightenment. Your definition of enlightenment is that progress is good. Yeah. Right, you said, and, and, and they so defined progress. progress. So but that what is, was a what philis- is progress is good. No, but what is progress is good? That's so Western progress. Is, that's is philosophy. Developed. Enlightenment is a philosophy. Uh, it's not science. Okay, so you're so that's what we're <laughs> science. Let's define our terms. Science is the realm of the disprovable, yeah, it, where I can I think imp- you're, being too, you're too being too too boxed in in terms of you know you're, even with your 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 definitions of fact and truth. I'm trying to use my language clearly, so which is also you know, so that so that there's clarity in the conversation, and and that by making the distinctions, I'm I'm clearly referring to what I'm referring to. In other words, I could make the argument if I don't do that. I could make the following argument: part of the Enlightenment ideal was the importance of every individual. Therefore, what we're seeing today is the democratization of truth—that everyone's opinion has equal weight—and therefore, we're realizing an Enlightenment ideal. That sentence makes sense. If my words aren't expressed with those, I I just used words in a kind of uh, loose way to make a sentence that sounds like it makes sense when it's actually false if I define my words clearly. There is, there is an argument that, uh, I mean, I'd be interested to know, like, I'm not a scientist. I mean, I... <laughs> be very clear by quite a lot of stuff that comes out of my mouth that I'm not a scientist. Nor do you play one on TV. Yeah, but I have played one on TV, exactly. No, Mm -hmm. I'm not a scientist, but I know that there are scientific discussions where they do talk about how that they don't that they don't know everything and that that is part of what of science is. And they, and so based on what they know now, this is the sort of course of treatment that they will do. This is what they will work out. And that there is mm-hmm. a shelf life. To, That's the current theory. To, but they call it a shelf life of facts. That's what they call it. So I don't think, uh, if they do, that's. I, I'm not using the word facts that way. I, well, I've never heard that. Right, so now I'm saying you're, you're using a facts, facts in a very specific way Correct. that I don't think they're actually used in the world. I think okay, you're, I, I know, I know language is not used precisely in the world, but I am trying to have a, a conversation with Just as an aside, clarity. How much does the phrase most unique upset you? If you want to be... I don't like that phrase. No, because... Okay, good. Because good. if it's unique, it can't be more... It's individual. It's it a, is one of my pet peeves. <laughs> I am I am also a pedant. I, I don't like... Yeah. Or irregardless, or all those things make me crazy. But but here, but what I'm saying is, I understand that colloquially language is used loosely. But when you're trying to get drilled down to the, to the nub of something... No, but even when you drill down, when our understanding of facts, and this is what... what what I think Sharon's saying, which I agree with, is based on our understanding right now, and that can change. It can. It just does. Two plus two like is four. Just like medical that can facts. change. So, two plus two is four. That can change. So, so can you that say change? That it, med- medical fact in in a thousand years ago is different than medical fact now, which would be okay. A thousand years med- ago, thousand there was no such thing as science. There was no such thing as empiricism. So 200 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years ago. 100 years ago, it may not have been a fact in medicine. It was an assumption. And doctors will tell you today, here's what we know, here's what we don't know. Our current theory and approach is this. But the fact that the heart is the organ that pumps the blood is a fact. I don't think 100 years from now that's going to change. The fact that blood contains red corpuscles is not 
and white corpuscles, the fact that plasma is part of blood, that's not going to change because that's a fact. How to improve the quality of the blood, that can change. But we have to have a word for 2 plus 2 is 4, and blood contain, blood is what tr brings the oxygen throughout the body. You have to have a word for the things that are in the world that are facts. Uh, you can say there's, there's no such thing. I think there has to be a word for those things which a thousand years from now are still facts. As they were, if they were facts a thousand years ago too, and they will be a thousand, two plus two will be four a thousand years from now. What's your word for that? I'm happy to use a different word. The thing is, that I think that 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 actually that our our knowledge of our planet is constantly changing, and it was a that's known true fact that there were only this many species in the world and then someone dug up a piece of soil and found a thousand more in somebody's back. No scientist would ever have made a, a look no decent in the world of science if any scientist claim yes. that we have found all the species. No they never said we found all the species they're saying this is how many. That wasn't a fact. There was also saying that, that, that you know there's a classification I mean I can get into this there's a classification that says that fish aren't really a classification of anything that actually you can't correct. classify there's no such a thing as a fish because there that's, used to be but now there isn't because there's a classification no because in Linnaean taxonomy that term is not useful we keep finding out more things in space there's there's so many you know when you grow up this is how many planets there are no, no, now there aren't because Pluto isn't a planet because they've defined I, what a planet is differently Correct, but Pluto being a planet was never a fact. The fact it that there's a body... It was in every single school book as a thing that you taught children. What else did we teach them? Are we not... I don't have the... I hope it wasn't an opinion. Classification is a choice, and we now made a different choice. The class... I, there I know, is, okay. and we're just talking semantics here, but it is... It was taught to me as a fact that this is how many planets there are. Well, this I'm sorry that called, your teacher... I'm sorry are. that your teacher... I'm sorry that your teacher didn't make that distinction. Look, human beings are human beings. The fact that there are nations, right? The fact that we treat groups of people as nations is a fact. But that nation idea is a shared social idea. It is not a fact. Well, we can agree on that. Right? We right? can agree on that. Do we classify time. Pluto as a planet or not? Is a, it is a fact that we classify it as a planet. But the, it is not a planet in, or not a planet as a fact. It's just a question of how we classify it. Yep, well, that's exactly the point. So 20 years ago, it, there was a fact that Pluto was a planet. No, Today, the, the fact, fact was we classified not. it as a planet. If you're using language correctly, and, I, and, and ask Neil deGrasse Tyson, he will tell you it was, it was not, in fact, anything. The, do we, we no longer use the term brontosaurus. Was it, in fact, a brontosaurus beforehand? No. The fact is, scientists use that term, and then they change their term. But the fact that there was an animal like that, with that neck and that body, that's just a fact. You, if you want to use a different term, I'm happy. But you have to have something, if you want the Enlightenment to work, that treats 2 plus 2 equals 4 as different than, well, than India, India in is one in, nation. In, in time and space, that there's, there, there are facts, and at times... It, uh, 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 they're they're defined as this, and they can change. You're so two only plus one two plus four can change. I uh, you know without um, as math classifications change, then I guess yes. Okay, then there's no then the enlightenment doesn't work. Then, then the enlightenment doesn't math, work. No, because actually you're drilling down the enlightenment to just say enlightenment is about facts. That what you've just done is you just said the enlightenment is about facts. Enlightenment is that Western society agrees. Okay. The, okay. 
I'll read. But the I'll scientific read. method isn't about fact. The scientific method is trying to is exactly what you're saying. It's about trying to classify and understand and come with a way of understanding our world, which is based on experimentation and seeing what happens. And those, those to establish the facts, because if I if my laboratory to, to add, I dis- uh, so that so I'm saying to establish an understanding a real reasonable understanding of where I am now in time and space and how that works with the understanding that that can change in the future. No theories can change, understandings can change, so, but facts remain and constant. That's what the, and that's what the and that's what the and that is what the Enlightenment is about. The idea that things can change based on our knowledge and our ability to understand the world around us and the fact that we are continually searching for the idea for for that truth when we get to it because we are looking and we are re-examining and we are reusing there is a wonderful book called the half-life of facts that uh, why everything we know has an expiration date by samuel arbersman and it says that half-life of facts where everything now has an explanation gate. It's a very interesting... It's, it's, again, so he would argue that 2 plus 2 plus equals 4 is a fact that can change in time. For instance, it's surprising to find out that many decades it was an established fact that humans had 48 chromosomes. We have 46. We consider an elementary truth that other researchers who counted 46 sometimes shut down their research prematurely, thinking they were somehow in error. So I, I don't know how this is going to be a podcast episode, like, but I am arguing, I am arguing, university, I am arguing that in the correct articulation of terminology in the philosophy of, of it, science, you? you don't want to let go of it. Happy to let go of it and move on to something else. But I would like, but you're saying, if you're arguing that there's no such thing as I'm not saying there's a no truth, such thing. I'm saying some facts do change. What we thought so what's the fact, word for some something that doesn't change, change? Based on our expanding knowledge. Is there a word for a reality that doesn't change? I don't know. Atoms exist. Hmm? How we understand that gas, gas, uh, uh, is there no our reality? Understanding of our, our understanding of atoms change. Of course, our understanding of things change. So, but I'm saying in the world out, in, epistemologically, things that exist outside me, are they constantly true or does it change based on... I'm saying that there is still stuff that's outside that is absolute truth that we don't know about yet. I'm not talking about truth. Facts that are out there that you can define as a fact that we don't know about yet, and science says we all know that. that we don't know about. We all know that, but once we as, est- the the world is round, but maybe in the future it won't be round. Actually, a maybe it'll be flat. Obeloid, whatever. It's like more egg shaped. I didn't say. I didn't say it was. Uh, I said round. Round is accurate. Which is round? Eggs are round. Are you saying that's not necessarily true? I'm that's not necessarily a fact? It's found to be kind of more oval. Do you have a word for something that, that our, is our just objectively, change? empirically true? Empirically true. We use There's no such language thing? and language is imperfect. So we use the word. Okay, fact. then that's it. Then that's the end. Of, then that's, that's what's called postmodernism. So that's postmodernism. postmodernism and we've gone right which is unraveling the enlightenment that is, is i think that's right antithesis of enlightenment yeah i think that's true
And there we are. I think we're entering a postmodern world where we don't have agreed to set on facts because there's no such thing as facts. And therefore, opinions reign supreme. And therefore, I don't know how you can build a society with consensus. And how can you fight a pandemic when there isn't agreement over whether the thing is real, present danger, what does help it, what stops it, what... The Enlightenment defined modernity, and in a postmodern world, I don't know how you fight a pandemic. So the question is, is, if, is that because, first of all... I just can't believe how postmodern you guys are. But, but by the way, but first of all, that, that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, first of all, that in the modern world, they did such a good job of fighting pandemics. Right? If, we're ta- if, if that's, it means our, if they, that's our it, conclusion... It means progress. It means that... If, if, it's our, if, if that's our conclusion here for a second, right, that the modern world would be able to fight a pandemic and postmodern it, isn't, they didn't do such a good job in the modern world. It means world. they learned from their mistakes and improved. That's what it means. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Overall. Uh, you know, um, but I think that, I think that, um, that potentially what we're saying is that with the changes in the world that has happened, that the, the new changes that the world we're in, and we've talked about this in other places, that we need new structures to build in the world we are and to deal with, 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 with the situations we have. Um, so, for instance, like a pandemic, you're saying. So, or... Or the way that our governments are structured today, if you want to talk about it, but the, the structure of a government in the modern world is not necessarily is not necessarily the same structure that we need for government in the postmodern world. If that's our argument here, that one is modern, one is postmodern, uh, and, and the same thing with with with, with everything around us. That we I'm need not new saying structures that. that I are, disagree with that uh, strongly. I think you can't no, I, you can't have sensible governance in a postmodern system. Is that why we don't have cons- sensible governments? No. I think there's a whole bunch of variables and reasons why our why Western governments have entered into dysfunction. But I do think it's part of it. Yes, that there is, there aren't agreed upon. We're not arguing about the same reality. That we look at the world and we say my view determines what the reality is, instead of saying let's agree on the shared reality. And then, as Alan was saying before about experts, two people can understand something equally well and have different opinions. That's what democracy and governance in an enlightenment world is supposed to be. People who understand the reality together and then disagree how best to interact with it, which is a normal part of governance. But today, we're saying the reality is what I say it is. And therefore, we're arguing based on different realities, in which case we can't come to compromise. We can't make agreements because we're just living on different planes of reality right, but i think i think it's not I, but again postmodernism is not necessarily about saying oh it's just based on my opinion it doesn't postmodernism is saying oh the reality can be whatever i want it to be postmodernism is also based on an idea it's just saying that it's much more subjective uh-huh. than at, it, right that whereas in the in, in the enlightenment or the modern was there was this oh we can get to an absolute truth there is an absolute truth. We're not there yet. We can get to an absolute truth. Yeah, we have to strive as much as possible. Postmodernism is saying that that absolute truth is much more. There's no real absolute truth. It's much more subjective. But it doesn't yep. mean it's getting rid of the scientific method completely. It's saying now we have to put into place much more. One would have thought, and one would have reality. Hoped. One would have and, thought. And many places do. People do in many places. You and one, one has to put in subjective reality, right? One has to take into consideration subjective reality. And where we stand, and where you're learning that from, and all those things. That's what postmodernism also says. They're not saying throw out the scientific method completely. They're just saying it needs to be adapted to a more. I think that that would nuanced. be. I think that would be a wise postmodernism. But I think that we have entered an age of junk postmodernism. 
Which but I think says, that goes back to what Sharon was saying in the beginning, yeah. and that is the influence of the technological revolution. I don't right? know. I mean, where, I think that plays a role, but I don't think I, I think yeah. that's one of the factors. Yeah, there is this. Yeah. Um, I don't know that. I mean, maybe it's just my age showing now, but there was a definite thing. If something was, you know, in print, then it was like it had to go through a certain process on a certain level to get to being in print. Whereas now it's like anybody who can type seems to have the ability to, you know, state an opinion without backing it up or without having sort of like a logical reasoning or behind it or whatever. I mean, you I don't know don't whether that's the feeling that I have yeah. or whether that's actually true. I don't know. But you what makes it type. you could put up a video an audio you can have a podcast who knows right yeah, but what makes it less hard. true it's you just can edit out various different things and make it sound like your argument how do you, is perfect how do you know that one thing is more true than another because it's all it's going to change in the future anyway um, it's a, there's all I think that like, yeah too much postmodern too open minded in this whole phrase you know, you're so open minded that your brain falls out the idea is there has to be these um, to actually have those parameters. And there's somewhere in between the absolute of, ev- of, of a fact of that is what case and the absolute that everything is subjective. And to find that, I think that's what people struggle with now is that whole idea of, well, where does that lie? And where does that come? And at what point do I'm allowed to be skeptical or ask the questions or investigate further? And at what point is a fact a fact and just accept it and move on? So what I was trying to articulate is that science is the realm that establishes empirical data. Part of science also is theorizing how to take that data, and that can change. That can develop, that can grow. But once you establish data, the data of the facts remain constant. Beyond science come things that you empirically cannot demonstrate are true, but you can rationally argue are more or less correct. So that the question of what's the best form of government, I can't disprove. If you say democracy, I can't perform a laboratory experiment. I can, however, collect information and data and then make an argument based on reason and logic why I think, and you can agree with me or not. But, but, but that distinction between science and philosophy is part of what the Enlightenment created and created modernity which is science is the field that talks about how things work and talks about what reality is. And philosophy, whether it's political philosophy or religious philosophy, is the realm where we logically, rationally argue how best to do things. What do we do? What's the best way to handle things? What's the best way to live? What's the best way to lead? What's the best way to work together? And I think that that distinction is so crucial. And it's what puts... It, it's what takes one of the things that takes religion out of the driver's seat, because so this, the fact that religion and monarchy were based on the idea that I've inherited wisdom and power, which you, means you have to listen to me based on my authority, which I've inherited. And the Enlightenment said, well, no, there's data that's collected, there's facts that are established, and then there's ideas that can rationally be argued, and you have to play on that playing field. We all in our interactions have to play on their playing field. Individuals, communities can go off into their own branches, but as a collective society, we have to make a distinction between science and philosophy, and we have to be mutually tolerant of our different philosophies. I'm very interested, like living in Israel where we don't have that separation of religion and state. How does that enlightenment phrase sit with us this idea that we are not like even like Herzl also 
you know, in his vision of what Israel should be, said that the rabbi should have a respected place, but they should not be involved in politics. Absolutely. We, we don't find that the case. Well, I've, I, I actually agree with her. So. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but, I, but I don't know how to do that exactly. And, you know, and, and, and the reason we don't have a constitution is we've never agreed on how to have, how to bridge that gap. Oh, I, I, well, I'll show you. I have a great example. This is what I've been thinking about a lot, right? Yeah. Sorry to knock you off mic, but right. The, but it's very, it's very pertinent. The, the big discussion in Israel has been going on is between um, demonstrations and public demonstrations and synagogue and prayer. prayer synagogue, right? prayer. synagogue prayer, right? Public prayer in synagogue, um, and how do we those those two being limited? Why do right? people have the right to protest but not to pray in a synagogue? Right, or vice versa, right? We could say the other way around. Well, people are arguing we should have the right to, to be praying in a synagogue. Uh, uh, that's more important because you know, these two completely different groups look at what went in, right, and on the news I heard the other day, right? Well, we have to allow only essential things. So one community is saying, well, essential is the right to protest in a democracy because we're democracy and that's essentially what we are and that's what it is about us. Where another group is saying, no, essentially what we are is, a, is Jewish, right? A, right uh, and, and religious ritual is essential in that definition of what Jewish is. And therefore, you have two completely different groups that are defining what is essential in this pandemic completely differently and saying, this is, you know, I should be doing this, I should be doing this, based on their, that, that value. And what I'm saying is, in, a, in an enlightened society, the first thing you do is you say, okay, well, this is a life and death disease. It has a high mortality rate, 3% or whatever it is. How do we reduce the flow? And we know that indoors increases the danger. So let's, and if we want to compare apples to apples, let's compare outdoor prayer to outdoor protesting. And then talk about ways to make protesting safe, and right, but again, out there that, that also, No, no. Right. In other words, in other words, that but, framing. I think you're correct that yeah. you're framing the debate in Israel today. And what troubles me is, I think that's an unlightened debate. Because, because first, let's get the science. Let's get the uh -huh. science level, where we understand the facts of this situation. Right. Now let's get into the philosophical debate as a shared society. What values do we want right. to increase our risk or reduce our risk? And are there safe ways to do both civil protest and outdoor prayer? And that's a much more, once you, once you use the method I'm articulating, which I always understood to be the Enlightenment system, you have a much more reasonable debate where we can come to agreement without acrimony. But when you remove that fundamental basis at the bottom, <laughs> then we're just coming at it with this vague sense of 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 priority differences that means we're never going to agree but i think it also it's absolutely and i think it's also the case that like what we spoke about last time which is in times of pressure the same issues come up again and again but they come up in those different ways the conversation that's been going on about israel about that kind of Jewish democratic, how those two things might be in conflict, whether it be a demographic situation or a land situation. And now we're looking at it in this uh, corona lens. It's come up again because it hasn't been um, sufficiently discussed, which is why people are discussing it from this deeply emotional, internal, very tied up with their identity and how they see themselves. And so it's not discussed rationally. It's discussed severely emotionally from the gut about... Don't you realize you are denying my existence is what they, you're denying my definition of who I am, 
Whereas really, you're right, it should come from, this is what the pandemic's doing. This is how it's transmitted. How do we keep everybody safe with the knowledge we have? And in a tolerant society, I respect your feelings and your emotions, and I defer to them, and I take them seriously. But as a shared group, as a shared nation, that has to be, your strong passions, as important as they are, have to be deferential to the common good. And the rules of the common good are we do, that your passions are not what drive our national decision making. Your particular interests don't. We have a set of facts that we agree on. These are the scientific realities. And now we're going to make our best decisions. We do have the shared value of protecting life. So how best to do that but still keep our communal values going? Protesting, prayer. In other words, you have every right in your community to, to express that and say that out loud outside your community. But there's the toleration has to, de to defer to the communal decision-making in government, which tries to balance all these needs based on that hierarchy of principles. And you don't have to agree with their decision, and their decision isn't 100% right. But it's a methodology of binding a society along a coherent conversation that can be unacrimonious, respectful, and productive in a way that when you take out that basis, it just becomes people shouting at each other. That's what I'm arguing. And when you have, and when you have weak, weak leadership, which... Uh, which panders to um, uh, very provincial uh, needs, so th uh, uh, assumed provincial needs or or whatever, then then you have no system for any of this working out. That, Correct. Which is why Israel's in the position that it's in right now. I think Correct. That's, that's what I'm arguing. Yeah. As well, because as Mike was saying, there are the scientific facts, right? Of this is the mm -hmm. pandemic and this. But I think what the other issue is, that everyone agrees those are the scientific facts. I think that they, they don't. are definite. And so because of that, therefore, the rest of it doesn't flow. So if, Correct. Or even if you have it at the basis, like this is the basis, of it, and we build up from there. But because people, we've seen it, people still are saying, oh, it's not really a pandemic and you don't have to worry about it or it's not really it's not dangerous it's, it's the media making a thing it's only out of it. dangerous yeah. to certain people and you're not that person it's the fact yeah. that they don't realize the hold is under their seat in the boat and yeah. you can't just drag your hold under your seat in the boat the 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 enlightenment modern idea of reality being real and we all share it and it has to be the fundamental place where we interact reality is is disappearing and we live in perceived different realities and therefore it's you can't i don't know how you run a a, a shared society like that well, well we're not <laughs> yeah we're doing issue. a really yeah we're doing a terrible job and most western countries are doing terrible jobs because because we've rejected these ideals and while intellectually postmodernism is attractive and and there is something really too being self-aware of the subjectivity of one's argument and, and and it refines the search for truth when it comes to public policy when it comes to governance those classic modern ideals of the enlightenment but this is how we get together with all our different factions with all our different ideas and we get together and we work out policy together based on this system Reality is facts. That's reality. Now, how best do we interact with those facts? I mean, you had, in the United States, not Israel, but you had an argument in the United States Senate yesterday with somebody, you know, about, with Anthony Fauci, the world, about what's really happening. Okay? So, so then, 
if we're not having an agreed upon set of facts, then we, there is no way to make policy. We're just going to argue about what reality is, and we'll never get anything done. And the job of government is not philosophy. It's policy. It's to solve problems. Go- government people are not philosophers. They're not, they're, not, they're not kings. They're people trying to figure out the best way to solve problems. If we don't agree with what the problems are because we don't agree with what reality is, then you can't have government. Or if there is a belief that this is what everyone else should be doing, but I can be immune to it. And I don't have to follow my own policies or I don't yeah. have to. Well, you, you, you always have to leave room for idiots. You know what I mean? Like even in government, there are always idiots in every generation. and There's always anti-intellectualism. And, yeah. you know, you always have that weird uncle who says crazy things. But you would hope that government officials working in a democratic government would adhere to this approach, this methodology, this philosophy, this attitude in order to be productive. And I fear that we're leaving that era. Yeah, and, and I think Herzl's a great example. He said, oh, by creating a new state from nothing, we can skip all those stages of dysfunction that so many other societies have to go through to progress. And we can start with all the modern achievements and make a sane, reasonable society. That's, that was his hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, you guys. Well. Okay. I hope we uh, we get to a better conclusion than that. Thank you very much, you guys. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Sharon. We Thank have a lot Mike. to think about yeah. on Monday. Yeah, we don't have to log off, but I'm ending the recording because it's the end of the episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.